Um, I'm Kay Crawford, and I'm a member of the Al-Anon family group. Uh, I'll, I'll settle down in just a minute. Um, it, I always, I'm always amazed when I get up here because there's so many people out there that I know are more qualified to be up here than I am. But it's just like my man always tells me. All you have to do is tell your story, and that's all I can do is to share with you my story. And that's what I'm going to try to do this morning. Uh, I want to thank Bob and Juanita for asking us. This is our fourth time, and that's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing to be asked back four times, and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, this has been a, uh, a real uh, good experience for us up here. When you walk through those doors, you feel the love that's here. You just feel it. Uh, and I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Uh, before I start my story, I'm going to tell you that I love my husband with all my heart and all my soul. I've always loved him, even when I hated him. <laughs> I've always loved him. And, you know, I could tell my neighbor that, or I could tell my, a member of my Sunday school class, or um, uh, one of my coworkers, I could tell them that. They would not understand. But if you've ever loved and lived with an alcoholic, you know where I'm coming from. So when I tell my story, I'm going to be telling you what alcoholism did to us. I'm not going to be telling on him and what he did to me. I'm telling on... I'm telling you what alcoholism did to us. I didn't know anything about alcoholism growing up. I was an only child, and uh, my parents were very young when they got married. Um, and I came along. I d there was no drinking in our family. I can't say that there was. Uh, they were teetotalers because... Uh, on occasion, my parents would have uh, guests over and they would um, have a cocktail. But it never interfered with our lives. Um, it was a small family. My dad had one sister and my m mother had one brother. And as far as I know, there was no alcoholism or no alcohol abuse in the family. So I didn't know what alcoholism was. But I <laughs> knew what alcoholism could do, or what alcohol could do to a person. Uh, my mother and I were sitting out on the front porch one night, and this was in, oh, in the summertime, because uh, we were outside, and it was when we had no air conditioning, so everybody, er, this was a small neighborhood also. Everybody knew everybody. They knew the uh, the parents, the children, the uncles, and the aunts. It was just a close-knit neighborhood. And we watched the man across the street come out on his front porch with a shotgun. And I said, Mother, what is happening? And he, she said, Oh, Joe's drunk again. Just like it happened all the time. Well, I knew Joe. And I knew that Joe was not like that. I like Joe. 
he was the man in the neighborhood who used to come around at Christmas time dressed up like Santa Claus and asked all the kids what they wanted for Christmas. Everybody knew who it was. But he, he enjoyed doing it, and he loved to make the kids, kids happy. And so, you know, and that people used to say about Joe, well, he's a good man if he just didn't drink. He was a snappy dresser. Oh, he was spiffed up all the time. But he'd go out on Saturday night, and he'd turn into a monster. That's alcoholism. <clears throat> and I also had an uncle uh, who was bad to drink. And he had a family. He was married and had a lovely wife and had uh, four children. And I know his family loved him very much. And I know his children loved him very much. But he could not stay sober. He was an auto mechanic, and that was back when there were no computers in cars, and he could listen to a car and find out and know what was wrong, if there was anything wrong with it. Anybody in the family who ever wanted to buy a used car, they would always take it to him to see if there was anything wrong with it. But he couldn't stay sober. And he'd get drunk, and one time they called the preacher over, and the preacher came over, and prayed over him and he went to church and got saved and he stayed sober as long as he could but then he drank again that's alcoholism but you know that wasn't going to happen to me that was not going to happen to me I was going to take care of it I was going to see that I was, it was not going to happen to me I told you that I was an only child let me tell you about my parents I had the best parents in the world my mother was the most spiritual person that I've ever known. She talked about God and told me about her God from as far back as I can remember. She was a very simple woman. She never had a whole lot. She never really wanted a whole lot. But everything that she had, she loved. And that's an aspiration of mine. My dad was a kind and gentle man. Everybody loved my dad. He was very quiet. Uh, he didn't have a whole lot to say. He was not an educated man, but he had all the love in his heart for his family. And I believe the reason why is because when he was six months old, both his parents died in the flu epidemic of 1918. And he and his older sister were left, and his grandmother took them in. Now, this grandmother also had other children in the family that she was taking care of because of illness. And this grandmother also took in a foster child. Back then, you took care of your own. And uh, he had a hard life. So I think that's the reason his family meant so much, much to him. He loved his family very much. Well, I grew up in the late 40s and early 50s, listening to rock and roll and rhythm and blues. And I learned how to dance when I was in the sixth grade. It was called, we called it fast dancing or jitterbug. And some people came along in the early 50s and slowed it down and called it the shag. Now, I know y'all are from Kentucky. You know, and I know y'all don't know what the shag is, 
and I just feel sorry for you. So. <laughs> if I had some music, I'd give you a demonstration right now. But <laughs> I love to dance. When I was in high school, the basketball game or the football game or whatever I went to, it was because of they were going to have a dance afterwards. I had a guy that I used to dance with all the time. We were not boyfriend or girlfriend. We just danced good together. And we would uh, practice together, and it was just fun. Dancing has always been important in my life. But when alcoholism comes into your life, you let those things that you like go. And so that's what happened to me. In my senior year of high school, I like to say that a life-changing event happened to me. I was in art class, and this was a loose class. It's one of those classes you took when you just had to fill in a period. And uh, the um, teacher would let us talk while we were doing our little projects. And uh, one day he asked me and another girl to get up in front of the class and pose as the rest of the class sketched us. So I was up there, and I'd been in this class the whole year. I can't, I'm not good at dates or times, but I'd been in there quite a while. And I heard someone say over my shoulder, well, I guess I'll draw her boobs now. And I looked over to see who that was, and my life changed. <laughs> I fell in love. <laughs> yes, I fell in love. I, you know, I made it a point from that moment on, I made it, made it a point to be where he was before he even got there. I thought he had never asked me for a date. And so... I made it a point to ask him. <laughs> uh, actually, it was the Sadie Hawkins Day dance, and I don't, that, that's when it's okay. Now, this was in the 50s, so it was okay to ask the boys to escort you to a dance. So I asked him, and he said, okay, yeah, he would. So we double dated, and I can remember that dance very well. And in this class, I can remember all the talk about, I knew he drank. But everybody did. He was hip, slick, and cool. Matter of fact, he's still hip, slick, and cool. <laughs> but I knew he drank. I could, I'd hear the conversations the the guys would have in the in in class. The what party they went to last weekend, what party they were going to this weekend, how much they drank, how much they got drunk, and you know, it was a lot of drinking going on. I knew that, but that was okay. Everybody did it. And I can remember going to this dance. And we double dated. I cannot remember who we double dated with, but I can remember they, the boys went out to the car several times. And I knew what they were doing. They were passing a bottle around. But that was okay. When he came back in, we danced a little more. He paid me a little more attention. And it was okay. So I can truthfully say, drinking in the beginning was not a problem. It was probably what attracted me to him in the first place. He was everything that I wasn't. He was outgoing, life of the party, and I was shy 
I didn't want to, I can't believe I'm up here. <laughs> and I was shy, I didn't want any attention drawn to me or, at all. But anyway, that, that's, that's where, where we started. We started dating and then um, I graduated from high school, had no intention of it furthering my education. All I wanted to do was grab that man and settle down. And But at the urging of my parents, they urged me to take a secretarial course, and that's what I did, at the Woman's College, which is the University of North Carolina at Greensboro right now. I, t I took that uh, secretarial course, and the placement office at the college placed me in a, a, a family-owned business there in Greensboro, which I retired from after 32 years of uh, work. So, uh, in the meantime, uh, Bill um, joined the Army, and I thought, oh, Lord, oh, you know, this is it. He's gone. He's gone forever. But we corresponded, and on my 20th birthday, I got a, uh, a letter. We corresponded back and forth, and he called and... Um, well, wrote me a letter and said, and on it, it was it was written on uh, notebook paper, lined notebook paper. This embarrasses him, I know, but it's my story. <laughs> it says, "Dear Kay, will you marry me?" And oh, you know what my answer was. So on my twentieth birthday, we were engaged to be married the next year, and it just so happened on the next when he could get a leave to come home. It just happened to be on my 21st birthday. And so on se uh, September the 19th, we were 1959, we got married. Well, when I picked him, he got a leave to come home to get married. When I picked him up at the, airport, uh, at the train station, we were sitting out in the car and he said, Kay, what do I want to get married for? I don't want to get married. My God, the guys, my buddies are telling me I'm too young to get married. What do I, I'm too young to get married. What do I want to get married for? Well, I had a year to plan a wedding. And, buddy, there was going to be a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> so, when I walked down the aisle of Magnolia Street Baptist Church on September the 19th, 1959, I knew that there was something robbing me of my husband's love and devotion. I didn't know what it was then, but I know today that it was alcoholism. Alcoholism. Well, we got married and started off on our life. And I hadn't seen a whole lot of him during that year we were engaged. And I noticed how much the drinking had progressed. You see, I knew he drank. And I knew he drank a lot, but I was going to fix that, worried. I was going to fix that. I was going to take care of that. I thought I had that power. Well, you start thinking about things to do, you know. When alcoholism is in a family, the family is all the time dancing around that alcoholic, wondering what are we going to do about the alcoholic? What are we going to do? <clears throat> the wife, husband, the children, the parents, 
the family, the employer, everybody who's connected with the alcoholic. They're dancing around there, wondering what we're going to do. When I came into Al-Anon, I learned that I had to take the focus off of that, and I had to put the focus on, and what am I going to do about me? See, I didn't know that then. I did not know that then. Well, I started um, thinking of things to do, and I'd see other young couples with children. That's it. If we had a baby, he'd have to stop drinking. Well, Steve came along, and um, that was our first child. And I can remember uh, Bill was in service, was at the Army Hospital. I can remember he uh, took me to the hospital, and this was back in the day when uh, the dads could not be anywhere near the moms when they gave birth. So he dropped me off at the hospital and left and went directly to the NCO club. And the reason I know that is I was in hard labor. I was out of my mind, and this sweet little nurse came by and said, asked if I was Miss Crawford, and I said, yes, I am. And she, he, she said, well, I just left your husband at the NCO club, and he wanted me to check on you. <laughs> and I can guarantee you right now, <coughs> Had I not been in hard labor, there would have been some hair pulling then. Because <laughs> that's what I had become. That's what I had become. You know, I thought that having a child would cure his alcoholism. No. Nope. He was discharged from the Army, and we moved back to Greensboro, and I thought, this is going to make it. He's going to stop drinking when we get back home. Where all our friends and all our family are, he's going to stop drinking. And, uh, you know, and I'm trying everything that I know to try. Er, my every thought was, what am I going to do about him? What am I going to do? Well, Kelly came along 11 months later. You know, um, Kelly came along and uh, the drinking progressed, as it always does. And on February the 2nd, of 1962, we had, we had been married about three years, and we had Steve. He was 11 months old, and Bill dropped me off at the hospital to deliver our second child. That was on February the 2nd, and this was still when the dads couldn't be there. And uh, on February the 5th, I was still in that hospital room trying to explain to my parents who had come to see their only daughter and their only granddaughter. I was trying to explain to them why my husband wasn't there. I don't know what I said. I, I know that I tried to cover it up as best I could. I don't know what uh, excuse I gave, but they couldn't understand it. But when they left, I took an inventory. I didn't know what an inventory was, but I looked at my life, and I said, how did I get here? How did I get in this position? I didn't even know if I was going to have a way home from the hospital. I didn't know then, but I know today that it was because of alcoholism. It was because of alcoholism. So that little girl who loved to dance, 
had turned into an angry, ugly, bitter, pitiful human being. I'd like to describe to you how sick I had become, and it scares me today when I think of it. I was uh, married to a man who I knew didn't love me. If he loved me, he would quit drinking. I was married to a man who I couldn't depend on to come home. I couldn't depend on him financially. I couldn't depend on him emotionally. I couldn't depend on him to be there. When I needed him, he was not there. And do you know what my biggest fear was? That some other woman would come along and take him away from me. <coughs> and that is sick. That is really sick. I thought I was the only person in the world who had to live like this. Well, the drinking progresses as it always does. And you heard Bill's story last night. You heard that he called AA and he had a man's number who was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and I had that number. And I kept it <laughs> in a safe place. He didn't call it again, so I did. And I don't know why it was any, I was any more desperate this one night. It was just that I got the courage to call again. I had called that number many times, but I didn't have the courage to wait till somebody answered. I would always hang up. But this particular night, I let it ring until someone answered. And I introduced myself as uh, the wife of uh, a man that had called him earlier about his drinking. And I said, he's still drinking. Is there anything I can do to help him stop drinking? And he kind of chuckled a little bit. And he said, no, hon, we got to wait till he's ready. And so, uh, but he said, listen, my wife goes to something called Al-Anon. And you might be interested in going with her. And so he put Lib on the phone. And Lib had the softest voice. She was so comforting and so... Sh she didn't tell me a whole lot about Al-Anon over the phone. She just says, Honey, I know, what you, I know what you're saying. I've been there. Come and be with us. And I cannot uh, tell you what that meant to me. I went to that group. I, uh, they were at that time there were only two meetings in Greensboro one was a speaker meeting and one was a uh, discussion meeting well she uh, was a home group member of the speaker meeting so that's the one I went to and I can remember walking up those stairs it was in an old dirty dingy uh, office building downtown and, but I can remember walking up those stairs and those people uh, surrounded me surrounded me with their love, and they loved me into recovery. I meant to say this before I started talking, you know, I'm a crier, <laughs> and I don't know ever, I never know when it's going to happen. I, I, you know, I cry at movies, uh, funerals, and weddings, and uh, everything. So, uh, but when I talk about this first group, I can't help it. Uh, and, you know, this first group, it was started back in the 40s, late 40s. It was called the AA Auxiliary. 
And now I know I get some chuckles when I, when I hear that, but I am so grateful for those women who were uh, wives of the members of AA in those early days. They didn't have a program, but they knew they needed a program. And so they had their own purpose, they had their own steps, and they, uh, they gathered when their husbands had an AA meeting. Well, uh, this was in, uh, when this group was started, it was, like I said, in the late 40s. Well, Al-Anon came into being in the early 50s. And by the time I came to uh, Al-Anon in 67, they were doing Al-Anon. They had uh, d uh, adopted the Al-Anon program fully. So uh, uh, they, they were... Good, but they, you know, there's not any of those women left. You know, there are not any of them left anymore. But I am so grateful for them. As I said, they loved me in recovery. And the group I go to now uh, is a, the, the name of the group is Back to Basics. The Back to Basics Al-Anon Family Group. And that's what we do. That group is just exactly like the one I came into we love those people when they when the newcomers come in we love them till they can get love themselves so and that's what they did for me well you know the first thing they taught me when i came in was <clears throat> that this was not my fault and i had thought for so long that uh if i had been a better person if i'd have been a better wife or a better mother or you know i thought that he wouldn't drink and they, that was so comforting to me to know that it was not my fault. The first time I heard those steps, I thought, <coughs> well, isn't that nice? They are uh, getting us to repeat these steps to remind us of what they ought to do. <laughs> but thank God I stayed long enough to realize that this program was for me. It was for me to put back together a life. Well, I can remember my first inventory. It was, uh, it's almost a joke when I think about it now, but it was a start. And I've taken many inventories since then. But I found out that I contributed a lot to the mess that I was in. I was uh, a very controlling person. I thought everything had to be my way. I was a very possessive person. I would possess you till I smothered you. I was very jealous. I was the, probably the most jealous person in the world. And I was so self-righteous. Oh, was I. I was sickening. Well, life goes on. Uh, I was in Al-Anon probably 10 years, and these little kids that we had, uh, they were five and six years old when uh, Bill came into the program and I came in, well, when I came into Al-Anon. And they grew up, they were growing up. Uh, Steve was about 15, 15 and a half years old. He came home one day, or one early evening, and I smelled beer. Every bit of Al-Anon I ever had after 10 years went out the window. I started asking him the same questions that I used to ask his dad. Where have you been? Who have you been with? How much have you had to drink? All those questions. I bet I've asked them a thousand times. 
Never have gotten an answer. But you know what I had to do? It was different then. I had a program. I called my sponsor. I went to meetings. I read my literature. And I prayed my prayers. And I got through that. I got through that. And now Steve is, uh, you know, I, I just knew he was going to be in the gutter. He was going to be an alcoholic. I just knew it. You know, but now he's uh, he's a grown man with a family and four children, and he's my hero. He couldn't be an alcoholic if if you poured it down him 24 hours a day. I don't believe. Now Kelly, she's a different story. <laughs> I've always said that Kelly uh, marches to a different drummer, and she ha always has. And uh, without taking a fifth step up here, um, she and I didn't get along from the very beginning. Never, didn't get along. I mean, really didn't get along. <laughs> and these, these two kids were raised in the same house by the same parents with the same grandparents. One of them made good choices. One of them made bad choices. And she is where she is today because of the choices she made. But um, when she was 18 years old, I mean, this is after a lot of stuff. And I don't have to go through the stuff that happened. It was just after a lot of stuff. The day after she graduated from high school, I had to ask her to leave our home. I had learned in Al-Anon that I didn't have to accept unacceptable behavior. And her behavior was unacceptable to us. It was disrupting our family. And this was one of the hardest things that I've ever, 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 ever had to do, was to ask her to leave. We stayed in contact with each other. We stayed um, in communication. Uh, and that didn't cure her. That didn't cure her of anything. Uh, after a while, she came back home. The, the rules had changed, but she didn't follow the rules, you know. So, uh, anyway, but you know what I had to do? I had to stay in close contact with my sponsor. I had to go to meetings, and I had to read that literature again, and I had to pray my prayers. And I had to be willing to help someone else who was hurting worse than me. You know, we go on and on and on, and things happen in life. And I have to stay close to this program. I can't miss meetings. Because if I miss any meetings, I'm going to fall back in that old behavior. That's why I have to keep coming, you know. A lot of the newcomers that come into our group nowadays, they'll say, what, are you still here? You know, why? You know, aren't you getting any better? <laughs> and I said, no, I have to keep coming. I had to keep remi being reminded of how I, how I can uh, better myself. I have to be reminded of what to do. I have to be reminded of these steps. Well, I didn't think anything else could happen that was really, that I couldn't handle. But, oh, yes, it is. Uh, you know, I had been in Al-Anon for a long time doing a great job. I was treasurer of the North Carolina State Convention for four years. 
Bill had been in uh, AA doing a great job. The poster child for AA, you know. Just, we were just perfect couple. And he came home one day and said, Kay, I don't know if I love you anymore. And I, uh, you know, it about killed me. I, I could feel my heart break. This was something that was happening that I had feared from the day I walked down that aisle that he was going to leave me. Well, you know, he left. And uh, I had a program, though. I had a sponsor that I had to be in contact with. I almost lived with her. She made it a point to make sure that I was okay. She made it a point to know that I was I, I was working at the time, so I was uh, had a job to go to, and I was okay with that. And but on the weekends, they're the hardest times when you don't have anything to do. They made it a point that I had something to do every weekend. But I want to tell you today that that separation for us was necessary. I had told many, many, many women. You can't depend on someone else for your happiness. I had preached that many times. But I was faced with it. I was faced with it. I might be by myself, you know. But my buddies in Al-Anon supported me, and they carried me through that. And I, our marriage, and I usually forget to say that we got back together, you know. <laughs> but obviously we did. And b but because of that separation, our marriage has been stronger ever since. One of the reasons is because I got a life. I got a life. You know, I didn't think alcoholism had robbed me of everything that I thought I was capable of. And I started, so I started looking for things to. Uh, to make me happy. I had to look back to way the back the teenage years, my beach music that I love so much. I can listen to beach music now and turn into a 16-year-old, you know. I and I, you know, I had to remember that. And I can remember when I was in high school I loved to draw. So I enrolled in a uh, art class at one of the community colleges. And I I stuck with that long enough to know that I didn't have any talent. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I looked for something else. When I was a child, I had a piano at home. My mother uh, and dad gave me piano lessons, but I didn't stick with it. And I said, oh, I think I'll take some piano. I bought me a piano and took some piano lessons. And I loved it. I enjoyed it. I had fun in the classes. But I realized that I couldn't put my left hand with my right hand. So, <laughs> so I, you know, I gave that up. And then Bill, one day he said, he was reading the paper, and he said, why don't we take golf lessons? And I said, okay. So we called this pro that was advertised in the paper and signed up for a series of golf lessons. I found something I could do. <laughs> So we took golf lessons, and uh, I fell in love with it, and he kind of, you know, didn't like it. And I always like to tell this on him. Uh, the reason he doesn't like it so much is because the pro 
would always say, look at him and say, watch her. See how she's swinging? <laughs> something that I could do. I didn't take up golf till I was over 50. And so I'm uh, I'm, on, I'm 74 years old, so and a 14 handicap ain't bad. Is, is it? So. Well, I can't tell you what a life I have. I, sometimes I have to pinch myself to realize how good it is. I'm active in Al-Anon. Uh, I have a sponsor, and I sponsor some girls, and that's a thrill. That's a thrill to watch somebody come into uh, the program, and you know, you look in their eyes, and there ain't nobody home. And they keep coming, and they keep coming, and they keep coming, and one day, the light goes on. And you know that God is in their life, and then you know that the program is working in their life, and that's, the, that's one of the blessings that we have in this program to watch somebody else get it. We have a lot of promises. Al-Anon has promises too. One of the most important ones that is important to me is that we will be able to love others without losing ourselves. And that's what I did. I loved him so much that I lost me. But Al-Anon has given me a program that I can put to work and I can get me back. And uh, because of this program, because of the love and the, that, uh, all the love that I've received in this program, I have found that little girl who loved to dance. And I'm going to keep her. Uh, they told me when I first came in this program that for me to keep it, that I had to give it away. And it didn't make much sense to me then. But I know now that for me to keep the peace and the serenity that I have found here, that I've got to share it with someone else. And I try to do that at every chance I get. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I love Alcoholics Anonymous because Alcoholics Anonymous gave me a sober husband. And I love Al-Anon because Al-Anon gave me back me. Well, I'm about run out of things to say right now. So I guess when that happens, that's a sign for you to sit down. So I want to leave you with some kind words that I heard someone say one time. They were not in the program, but they were just someone that I admired. They said, live simply, love generously, care deeply, speak truthfully, pray daily, and leave the rest to God. Thank you. <laughs>